Good morning, Mill City. So good to be together, and I want to take a moment uh, also to welcome those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you are with us. Uh, Before we jump into the message, uh, a couple of things I want to highlight coming up in the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, August 13th, uh, is the beginning of our week of prayer, and so we're going to start by praying over teachers and administrators as as, as all of you are going into the school year. And so if you are a teacher administrator for elementary, for middle school, high school, or college, um, please we be here next week. We would love to take a moment. We'll take a moment and pray for you, bless you, send you into the school year, as well as uh, we have a, a gift for you uh, as well. So I would love to see that. That's next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, the 20th of August, uh, we are moving to three gatherings. And uh, we're making more space for students, making more space uh, for people in our house. And so the three gathering times, you'll need to make some adjustments in your head um, and your schedule. But 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 a.m. are the three options. So be thinking about that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, And if you're like, well, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me, then see you at the 8 o'clock. All right, so we'd love to... To have you there. Um, Chances are you're in the 1030, so probably not going to happen. All right, I I get it. (laughs) Well, buckle up, everybody. We are coming in for a landing on the series that we've been going through for this summer, uh, walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And and, and some of you, I find myself usually at the end of a series like this kind of sad, like, oh man, I've enjoyed it so much. I hope you have as well. But if we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, 12 chapters long, we're in the 12th chapter here today, uh, we might actually feel like we're circling the airport <laughs> and have circled the airport for the entire summer because how it starts is, is fairly similar to how it ends. In the first chapter, he gives this little kind of intro and then he says, but it's all meaningless. It's, it's all meaningless, utterly meaningless. And then in chapter 12, he goes through a little bit of what we're going to talk about today and he comes to the end of that and he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. You're like, well, did we, did we go anywhere over the course of these 12 chapters? I think sometimes Ecclesiastes sounds like a broody, cynical hipster, you know, that drinks organic coffee and kombucha all the time, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, bless you if you are that, but, you know, sometimes, and, and you, know, you know, it's like the contemplating and, and coming to a place of like, oh, what does it even matter? And Ecclesiastes kind of can sound like that and sound like a a nihilistic hedonism is the way to go. Like it doesn't even matter, so eat, drink, and be merry. And the word meaningless is used 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. This word meaningless in other translations used vanity or emptiness. And it's the Hebrew word is havel which means smoke or vapor, something you cannot grasp a hold of. You can't lean on it. It offers you nothing and oftentimes can actually be disorienting and you can't always see very clearly. Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is actually trying to clear the smoke of life and calls us to be honest about life, 
So in many ways, as much as maybe we've been circling and, and like it feels like we've been flying through the clouds, it's like he comes in at the very end and goes beneath or maybe above the clouds and all of a sudden you can see. Because the teacher wants to lead us into nothing less than the heart of reality. The heart is the reality of life, the heart of, of, of what it means to be human. And he does this through poking and provoking. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11 says, The words of the wise are like goads. Now, this goads isn't a word that we use in our everyday vernacular, and mean, but it means to provoke, to stimulate action, to to push, to poke, to prod, to disrupt, to make you uncomfortable, to cause you to rethink some things, to rethink how life works, to rethink if, if our roots are actually down deep or if we're just living a shallow life. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to poke at is our idols, the things in life that we try to hold on to, but actually in the end, he says, are smoke. And he talks about idols as being finite things. The phrase in Ecclesiastes is things under the sun. And we, when we make these finite things ultimate things. And so the goal of this series has been for us to all to be able to identify our idols. Or the things that we are tempted to make into an idol in our lives so that they can be removed. The hardest idols to identify are subtle and even more than that are culturally acceptable. Take for instance, kids' success. If you're a parent, you want, your, you want the best for your kids and you want your kids to succeed and you want them to do well and that's a good goal. But that can become an idol. It can become an all-encompassing everything in life revolves around that. And if your kid's not doing well, you're not doing well. It totally disrupts your well-being. Or it might be our country, the United States of America. I love where we live. I love this nation. But, our, but patriotism can turn into nationalism. And we can pursue the and make the priority of our lives making America what we hope that it should be instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. Or politics. It's good to be a good citizen. But those ways of engaging can turn into putting our hope in a law or legislation or a particular politician. Or maybe it's family, also a good thing. And you might even hear the phrase, family first. Well, I'm not sure that that's actually what Jesus would say. He does say family first, but he actually says your spiritual family first. And sometimes if we pursue it long enough and, and, and make it as if somehow our biological family is our end all, then what ends up happening is, one, we can communicate to somebody who's maybe single to think that somehow they're missing out on the fullness of God. Or somehow be exclusionary to somebody who's not in your biological family. When at the end of the day, Jesus says, my brothers and sisters are those who align with the will of the Father. Now the thing about all of these, and we could go on, 
And the writer of Ecclesiastes highlights things like work and money and sex, good things. But I like what John Piper says in his book, A Hunger for God. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. Think Netflix. For all the ill that Satan can do when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Found in Luke 14. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. See, they're good things that are turned into ultimate things. Gifts that become God's. Things that start by serving us, but over time, we end up serving them. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, talks about how, how love, as he's describing love, when it becomes a god, actually becomes a demon. Because that which we serve will end up destroying us unless it's God. My friend, pastor, and author of the book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Says and I, Steve Cuss says, an idol is anything other than Jesus that you, that you need to be okay. In other words, pay attention to your anxiety level. Pay attention to the things that threaten you. Pay attention to that which you think you need in order to be settled. Anything aside from Jesus to be okay. Maybe you need affirmation. Maybe you say, I need success. I need to be in a relationship. What is it? Is there anything that you feel like you need in order to be, okay, aside from Jesus. The last subject that we're going to address and the teacher addresses in chapter 12 is aging and death. I'm going to read out of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in the message version of the Bible because I think it gets to the heart of what the writer is trying to communicate here. He says, honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young. Before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes, before your vision dims and the world blurs, and the winter years keep you close to the fire, in old age your body no longer serves you so well, muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen, the shades are pulled down on the world, you can't come and go at will, things grind to a halt, the hum of the household fades away, you are awakened now by birdsong. Hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past. Even a stroll down the road has its terrors. Your hair turns apple blossom white, adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. Yes, you're well on your way to eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. So encouraging, isn't it, everybody? <laughs> Sounds a little depressing. And maybe part of the reason it's so depressing is because we live in a world that says we have no limits and a culture that likes to resist aging, avoid pain, and idolize youth. In some ways, it's almost a pursuit of immortality. As highlighted by the stack of magazines here, this one um, 
talks about has a, a how to erase age spots and reverse thinning hair. This one uh, talks about uh, someone, Holly Robinson Pete, who I don't know who that is, the surprise smoothie add-ins that keeps you looking good and feeling great at 58. This is works best in women over 50. How to, uh, to, how to increase and boost your libido by 283%. All right. <laughs> this is watercolor trick fakes a facelift look 10 years younger. Or this one, just coming straight out, anti-aging. Stay sharp, energetic, and healthy forever. Now, should we take care of our bodies? Absolutely. But while Jesus promises abundant life, He doesn't promise a life without aging, suffering, or death. And as we've talked about in this series over these last couple of months, the goal is to not see things as an idol, something we look to, but to see things as an icon, something we look through, in order to see something or someone greater. And so therefore, aging and death means that, and to see it as a gift, means we have to be honest about our limits, embrace reality, grieve the losses because of the reality of the brokenness and the presence of death, and savor life. Jossie and I turned 50 uh, this summer, and we've been talking about, thank you very much, you know, we, we didn't do anything to get here, but, um, <laughs> but, but we've been talking about how do we savor and embrace our age? You know, and not say things like, well, you know, 50's the new 25, but instead just be happy about the reality of life, to not try to be what we're not. But this, this longing for immortality, this longing for the eternal is woven into humanity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the human heart. So there's this core longing that's been placed inside of each one of us. And we all have core longings, maybe immortality being one of them. To be loved is a core longing. To be in relationship with others is a core longing. To feel purpose in life is a core longing. But this is where we run into problems, is when what we reach for isn't, isn't aligned with our longing. What you reach for may not be what you're longing for. See, you might be longing for comfort, but you reach for sex or food. You may be longing for joy, but you might be reaching for achievement. You might be longing for companionship, but you reach out for something that doesn't ultimately satisfy. Are you meeting an Ill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? See, because as we've highlighted throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, if we look for and, and reach out for the finite things, they will not be anything to hang on to. They're smoke. And we won't find what we're longing for. We won't get it if we resist aging. 
Which is why we need to heed the last few words and the last few verses of Ecclesiastes. If it weren't for these last two verses of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes would feel like a circling the airport type of book without any sort of conclusion and landing, and it might actually encourage nihilistic hedonism. Just, well, it doesn't, all ma- it doesn't matter, so eat, drink, and be merry. But he lands the plane, he kind of comes out above the clouds, and he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, one of the things here we have, the writer of Ecclesiastes all throughout the book, highlighting all these different things. It's important for us to notice that idols are defeated not by being removed, but by being replaced. And what he's highlighting here at the very end as we land is we, are going to, we need to replace the idols with God. Worship of the living God. To get our eyes not just on those things that are under the sun, but to look to the one who created the sun and is above the sun. See, an icon is something we look through to point our eyes towards the one who is above it. And so here the writer is saying that we replace all these things that he says are meaningless, cannot provide ultimate hope, with a fear of the Lord. Now this, this phrase, fear of the Lord or fear of God, fear God, it's the same type of phrase. And, and that, that phrase is found 138 times throughout Scripture. But it's not about being afraid. It's about reverence, but reverence even in of itself isn't isn't broad enough, doesn't describe it deeply enough. In Hebrew, the fear of the Lord is actually two words, and it's two words kind of joined together to make really one word. And so because of that, it's a little tough to to translate into, into English. But the meaning is attentive responsiveness. So live in attentive responsiveness to God. Tyler Staten in his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, he says, the fear of the Lord has more to do with attention and imagination than trembling. Most of the spiritual life is about paying attention to God and participating. Paying attention to what God is doing and how God is doing what He's doing. The spiritual life is then to live responsively, and inhabit the story God is telling while living in the real world. There are always competing stories, and the challenge and the invitation of spirituality is to trust God's story as reality. So the question is, whose story are you living in? To whom are you being attentive and responsive? Our culture says, be responsive and attentive only to you. Or maybe we are attentive and, and codependent and, and attentive only to that other person. He's, and what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, no, 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 be attentive. Fear God. Be attentive and responsive first and foremost to God. And he ends that verse by saying, for this is the duty of mankind. A more accurate translation of that phrase is, for this is what it means to be fully human. To be attentive and responsive to God. Walk in His way. 
is what it looks like to experience the fullness of life. It's the most important thing in life is what he's saying. This is where you'll find flourishing. This is where you'll find meaning. This is where you'll find purpose. The primary way that we practice and cultivate a fear of the Lord or an attentive responsiveness to Him is through prayer and corporate worship. So coming together and doing this in song, in listening to and being reminded of the Scripture, prayer together, because it, it's an interruption in our natural self-focus. It's an interruption to remind us to lift our eyes above, to bring our eyes away from just the under-the-sun things to the above-the-sun, to the one who made the sun, to attend to and be responsive to God. There's lots and lots of conversations these days about church and, you know, what, what is it? What does it matter and why do you go and all those types of things? One of the reasons in a world that is pointing us in this way is to develop muscle memory that says, oh yeah, lift my eyes. Psalm 121 starts off by saying, where does my hope come from? As we ask that question all the time, every day, and he says, my hope comes from not the mountains, but the one who made the mountains. My hope doesn't come from that relationship. My hope doesn't come from sex or success. It comes from the one who gave those things as gifts. So our weekly practice as we end this series is to daily confess your idolatry. Every day this week, you come before God and confess the things that are or you have a temptation to make your idols. If you're like, I don't have any. Yes, you do. If you need help, ask the person next to you, ask a friend. They'll be happy to point them out. It's so much easier to see other people's idols than it is your own. But the reality is we all have something that we either have as or have a, a greater possibility of making into an idol. Tim Keller, uh, late, the late Tim Keller said, used to say, we, our hearts are idol-making factories. We're always in a pursuit to make something greater than God. So daily confess your idolatry and memorize and pray Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 as a way not just to remove but to replace. God, help me to be attentive and responsive to you. To walk in your way. Not out of duty but out of delight. Help me to put you at the center. You to be everything for you to be the ultimate. Help me not to put my, my hope in the things that I can't hold on to and that can't hold me, but help me to hope in the one that I can hold on to and holds me and puts me together. Help me to walk in that way. Because here's the story that we live into. The very last verse of Ecclesiastes 12 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. See, we know a little bit more about this if we read Ecclesiastes in light of the entire Scripture. We know that evil will not have the last word. There will be true justice. All things will be made right. 
If you read Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, all evil is judged and eliminated and death is defeated. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross and came out of the grave. Death has been defeated. Our hope is not in chasing youth. Our hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus. So we can live now in light of the end because death is not the end for a follower of Jesus. Death is the beginning. It's the beginning because the cross and the resurrection of Jesus communicates to what true hope and identity and purpose and meaning is all about. The cross and the resurrection expose idols for the frauds that they are, for the smoke that they are. Do we live in an uncertain world? Absolutely. But even as uncertain as the world is, we can have hope for the future because of Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of aging. We don't have to be afraid of the difficulties that we experience in life. If you're 25, you don't have to be afraid of 50. (laughs) You don't have to be afraid of 80. You don't have to be afraid of the next year or the next day. Why? Because of Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus and live responsibly to God. This is what it means to live and be be truly human. And so I don't know where you find yourself in your spiritual journey here today, but the invitation is this invitation here at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. To live in attentive responsiveness to God. To say that to follow Him and to put my trust and my hope in the one who was above the sun is to build my life and to put my life on sturdy ground. And so I don't know where you are. Maybe this is your first time to church. Maybe this is your first time to church in a long time. So maybe this would be a a first time crossing a line of faith, or maybe this is a coming home for you. Either way, can you just under your breath sincerely say, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust you with my life. It's not the only thing that we need to say to God, but it is an amazing first thing to say to God to communicate, my life belongs to you and I want to go your way. It's a way of saying, I'm going to live into your story. And you, God, and your story is the greatest reality there is and I want to live into that. Together, we also want to take a step. I mentioned just a moment ago that worship is one of the ways that we are reminded and our eyes are drawn up to the infinite. We're going to take a moment and worship together the song that we sang at the before the message. We're going to end with that here as a way of reminding and leaning into the reality of who God is. So if we can, let's all stand together. This song, some of the lyrics are about nothing else. I'm sorry for what I've made it. It's all about you. At the end of the day, all of Scripture, all of life, Jesus is at the center. And we want to live out that reality in all that we do, not just as we sing on a Sunday, but the ways that we live our lives in the world in which we find ourselves. And so if you would, open your hearts, maybe open your hands, 
some of you, maybe you get on your knees, whatever the case might be, will you just fix your eyes, lift your eyes, allow the song to remind us to lift our eyes to the one we can find our ultimate hope in. Let's sing together. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. 
Jesus, we come before you with our hands open and ready to release the idols that we've created in our lives. God, would you take them? We lay them at your feet. We're thankful that you don't just erase these idols, but rather replace them with your presence. You replace them with your glory, your mercy, your grace, your abundant love, God. So we receive those things and we allow you to do the work of replacing those idols. God, help us to live aware of your presence. Give us the courage to partner with you in the day-to-day. No matter what our days look like, God, Help us to lift our eyes to see you. Increase our awareness for your presence. God, we invite you into these spaces in our lives and we trust you. Whether we're right knuckle gripping these idols or are eager to release God, we pray that you open up our grasp and that you take them into our hands and replace you and replace them with your goodness, God. We trust you. Amen.